Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello and welcome back TSF family to season four, episode one. Today we are talking about the second chakra and what's in store for this season. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hello, Anna. What's up, Christina? How goes it? It's good. We're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. Season three is over. And we're here after our break. We had to take a break because even your passion projects need breaks. And here we are. And here we are. And I kind of feel that energy. I kind of feel energy of season four coming into the world. And I'm like, yes, let's move out of season three and all the wonderful things it gave us and see what is in store. Yes. So for our listeners, welcome. This is season four of This Spiritual Fix. And we have three seasons preceding this one and it actually is a serial so we recommend starting on episode 1.01 which is season one episode one and actually going through them in order because they are made sequentially on purpose but if you're dropping in and this is your first time that's okay because everything is as it should be and you were meant to hear this episode so welcome (laughs) welcome indeed welcome welcome. today we're going to talk about what to expect in this season so we're just going to give some basic ground structure for season four but before that i want to talk a little bit about the tiktok i made for you yesterday (laughs) and i thought we could just discuss it because some of our listeners find us through tiktok and if you don't listen to tiktok You might want to go listen to us there because we bring up things we don't always bring up in the podcast. And I made a TikTok for you yesterday about interdimensional love stories. (laughs) Yes. Tell us about it, Anna. Tell us. Okay. Yeah. So it's funny because Christina and I have this thing where when we get together and or something goes wrong, Christina will go, I fucking hate my past self. Why did she set me up for this failure? And I noticed that Christina has a lot of loathing of her past self. And I have actually learned from my sister to create a love story with your past and future selves, because my sister and I love to organize and clean and she'll come over and she's like, let's clean your closet. I'm like, I'm too tired. She's like, but Anna, tomorrow, Anna is going to be so happy that today, Anna cleaned the closet. And I'm like, you're right, let's do it. And she kind of taught me this little trick of like, 
seeing things that you do as gifts to your future. And then when you recognize them, you thank your past. And it's this extension of self-love because the self is interdimensional. We could say that on some level, all versions of me exist at one time in the multiverse. We could also say that there's different versions of me all the day as I mutate and transform and these cells die and new cells regenerate and this and that and this and that. So it's kind of like a love story within my own self. And it's in a funny way, we could say it's a way of time traveling that I'm giving myself gifts from the past and I'm appreciating them here in the future. And it's little things like if your language of love is gifts, you might hide $5 bills in certain pockets so that you find them later. Or in my case, since I'm an activity sorter and my language of love is acts of service, for me, it's a lot about like folding laundry late at night. So I wake up and I'm like, the laundry's done or cleaning my kitchen and waking up and being like, I love you yesterday, Anna. Like, thank you for cleaning the kitchen. This is like so fun to wake up to. So I made that TikTok for Christina because I wanted her to recognize that she could have a love story with her interdimensional selves. What do you think, Chris? I think think it's great. I think it's great. It's funny because as you were talking about it, I could hear all my different parts coming up. So context of parts, it comes from internal family systems, which you can listen to in the end of season three. But I was hearing all my parts being like, well, you know why we do that, right? We do that because it's a perpetrator fallacy, right? Which is something we talk about in season one, which is perpetrator fallacy is like, you're always taking responsibility for doing the thing that's wrong, right? And in a lot of ways, I always hate my past self because it's not my current self. Right. So it's a little bit of a bypass there to be like, well, I hate my past self because I apparently can't control my past self. It's, a, it's an ex- it's a way to be your own victim. <laughs> it is. It's a way to create a, a, a confounding, very difficultly complicated, but, you know, something that satiates a bunch of different parts of me that says, okay, well, I have to take responsibility for everything because this thing went wrong. And obviously it was my fault because I could have prevented it. Right. But then I also am like, well, but now I can be the victim of my past self. And don't we all just want to be the victim? Like the drama triangle says. So I've literally just referenced about six or seven different past episodes that we did in just those couple of sentences. So yes, emphasizes the serial nature of what we do. (laughs) Right. Well, the reason why I brought it up is because it's a concept that I never really put into words for Christina before, but my friend Brooke and I were talking about it the other day because we've both radically changed how we eat. I'm doing a program called Wild Fit and she's doing this program with her naturopath. It's the same diet essentially. And we've both come to just recognize so much about how we eat and how we feel and how we've changed how we feel by how we eat. And she brought up this notion, she's a behavioral therapist called discounting of future events. And it is this like future-based fallacy where like the events you take on now you think they don't have an effect to the future. And like a classic example is the alcoholic who gets drunk and then has a hangover the next day and is late for work. And when they're about to get drunk, they discount the future events. They discount the hangover they're going to have or an addict, a drug addict will spend all his or her money to feel really good temporarily, knowing that they're going to crash and then they're going to be broke. And her and I were discussing how we used to do this a lot with food and not even recognize it because The wild fit teacher says, when you eat food, how you feel about the food in the first five minutes to 30 minutes around eating this food is all emotional. There's no nutritional value at that point. Any, any pleasure you're getting is from emotions or taste. 
And the true nutritional value comes like three, six, or 12 hours later. That's when you know how the food is actually making you feel. That's the nutritional value. So you got your emotional value and your nutritional value. And we often judge how we eat by the emotional value. And we discount the future event, which is how we actually will feel three to six hours later. And I was having another conversation with another friend about this. She's like, your, your diet sounds so restrictive. It sounds so restrictive. Like, like I can't restrict eating or I'll just binge. And I was like, I used to be that way, but I've totally reframed this so that instead of discounting the future event of the future, I see it more as an act of love. So now I'm choosing healthy foods, not because I'm doing restriction-based eating, but because I'm actually considering how will future Anna be like, how is Anna going to feel in three or six or nine hours from now? And let me make a choice that doesn't leave her with a stomach ache. Let me make a choice that doesn't make her feel groggy and cramped and lazy. Like, let me eat something that's going to actually make me feel good. And so I started to recognize that eating better was a form of self-love and it was a form of time travel, like a way that I can communicate with my future me and say, Hey, I love you. Look, I didn't eat that cheese and that corn or whatever else upsets my stomach. Like I'm going to eat these vegetables instead. And anyways, so that's kind of where it came from this whole discounting a future events thing, which we could tie into the whole marshmallow study if you wanted. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, that study I do. Yeah. Where you're basically putting a kid or anybody in front of a marshmallow and saying, if you can wait for 15 minutes, then you get two. If you don't eat the marshmallow in front of you now, and then they leave the room and see how the person, like it kind of is indicative of a lot of their behavioral patterns, right? If they take the marshmallow now versus whether or not they do it in the future, right? Right. Like they've come to see that the greatest indicator of a child's future success and success being the parameters of like mental health and, you know, financial security, et cetera, et cetera. When they study these kids in the future, they find that the children who wait the extra 15 or 30 minutes to get two marshmallows instead of one do better across all these spectrums. And some people say it's because they can understand the value of time, that time can actually be like an investment. But I like to think of it as these are the children who love themselves and that they can love themselves across the continuity of time. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I think in some ways what I was thinking about when you were saying that is that for me, the concept of eating something now and not like I don't have I don't have well-being impermanent. I don't have well-being permanent. So you take object impermanence, which is the idea that if you hide something, then you know somebody who doesn't have object permanence will think that it's not there. We've talked about emotional impermanence and permanence where it's like if somebody's not constantly in your presence or saying they love you, then you think that it doesn't exist and you think that they don't. I feel like I have well-being in here um, impermanence and I'm just making this up, but it feels like, I cannot remember how I feel from one hour to the next. Like I can generally remember that I was depressed or anxious at a certain period of time, but like I can't bring back the bodily feeling of what that felt. So for me, if I eat food that's bad for me and then I feel sick afterwards, I quickly forget how it felt to be sick. I kind of remember that I was sick, you know, but in general, I feel like I have a bit of an impermanence when it comes to that. So. I probably would would have been the kid who ate the marshmallow, you know, and I think that might have to do with some of my, my, the way my neurodivergence shows up as well. Right. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, yeah, it might be interesting if you do the wildfit course, which I really want you to do, it would be great if like you did it and you listened to what the guy says and like, you actually like look at your watch and you're like, okay, in three to six hours, I'm just going to notice how I feel. Cause after a while you start to make the relationship. Like I never did it. Like I'm 42 years old. I never, for 42 years, I never freaking made the connection between what I ate 
and how I felt later until I actually took the course. Unless of course I got food poisoning or threw up, right? Like if it was an extreme thing, of course I would recognize, ew, you know, like that Big Mac made me throw up. I've never eaten a Big Mac since, you know, but like for little things I never noticed before because I was never paying attention. Yeah. That's really no. interesting. Okay, cool. So the, they encourage that in the course. Yeah. 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 Think, oh yeah. The yeah. first three weeks, he, he doesn't have you change your eating at all. In fact, he's just like, whatever you want to eat, eat. And, but all you have to do is eat whatever you want to eat. As long as you promise to notice how your body feels in three to six hours, he might, he might even give a different time parameter. I might be quoting him incorrectly. It's definitely at least six hours, but like, I'm just like, cool. All right. I haven't had cheesecake in two years. Cause I'm so freaking restrictive. So let me go eat this, this entire thing of cheesecake. Like he said, and just see how I feel in six hours. And I'm just like, Oh my God, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really good. I I'm super interested in doing it a lot too, for the emotional connection to food, since I have such a strong emotional connection to food. Yeah, so that sounds really been, good. It's been yeah. a great, a great course. And I definitely will talk about it in another prelude on another day because I got so much out of it, but moving right along, or are we ready to, to close yeah. this little thing? Yeah. So moving right along, let's talk a little bit about the upcoming season. So if you paid attention to season three, you know, that the theme of season three was the first chakra, which was all about connection and the mother and sexuality and intimacy. And we've now moved into the second chakra, which is Christina will discuss the second chakra. (laughs) Yes. The sacral chakra or sacral, sacral, sacral. I like sacral. Yeah. Sacral chakra, which sits basically if the root chakra sits right at the base of your spine, at the base of your tailbone, the, the second chakra sits in your sacral, which is kind of like right on someone with a female anatomy would be somewhere around the cervix, right? So, and then in, in it's, it's kind of sits about five to six inches above the root chakra. And it, so it sits right there in the middle of the, of reproductive organs or right there in the middle of that kind of seat of what is going to be creativity. In Hindu traditions and in yogic traditions, this is called Svadhisthana. It is the representative of a six-petaled lotus that is orange in color. And just to kind of give you guys an understanding of why there's colors and, and petals associated with it, the petals each represent a different sound in Sanskrit. Those different sounds are kind of evoke the feeling of the second chakra. So if you were a yogi back in the day, if you were going to be concentrating on that second chakra space and kind of anything that came up for you would be kind of what you would feel represents that. And that and what we're seeing right now thousands and thousands of years later is kind of the production of, oh, okay, that's that's what they saw back then. They saw a six-petaled lotus, it's orange, and it represents a lot of the creative juice. And I'm using the word juice literally because it's a very, this, this chakra is representative of water, it's representative of emotion, it's representative of birth, of death, of rebirth, of sensuality. There's a lot of juice and kind of creativity, whereas the, the root chakra is all, you know, it's, it's survival, it's shadow chakra, it's humiliation, it's really sitting in that place of like, do I feel safe? When you rise up into that second chakra, it's still very earthly, it still hasn't kind of gone into the higher realms. The first three chakras are all very earthly, but this one is more about, hey, how can I be juicy and reproductive and creative and all those different things? So it's about flow, 
it's about flexibility it's about freedom of expression it's about fun it's about sitting with the depth of your feelings and it's yeah that's it it's it's creativity it's art anna do you want to add anything yeah so themes that are going to be coming up this season in regards to the second chakra will be the father wound creativity artistry kundalini creation and hatha yep one of the things about the second chakra is that it has its corresponding shadow chakra as well and the shadow chakra of the abandonment wound (laughs) the shadow chakra of the abandonment wound the shadow chakra of the second chakra is the abandonment wound and what we when you kind of are going into the depth of your being through down through the chakras doing the shadow work that really gets you there this is why we kind of are like okay abandonment is really kind of one of those key things that's really close to that base so that's what that's about anna you are our resident expert in the abandonment (laughs) do you want to talk a little bit more about it (laughs) yeah i have an honorary phd in abandonment (laughs) let me tell you all about it so the abandonment wound has something called the abandonment cycle which is the self-neglect cycle so essentially with all of these wounds the irony of all of these wounds is that we afflict upon our Ourselves, the very wound with which we fear. We can talk all about how what Freud would say about that and Jung, but essentially we, those of us with abandonment wounds, actually self-abandon. So what happens in relationships is essentially the abandonment wound in person will self-abandon. So they want to make themselves indispensable and awesome because they don't want their partner to ever leave them. So they overperform, they do everything they can in their power to be just like the best version of themselves possible to meet the needs of the other. So the other won't leave them because their biggest fear is abandonment, right? So Mm. how can one completely conform to the needs of the other? They self-abandon, they put their needs aside, they put their desires aside, they don't voice themselves like a hallmark feature is they don't know how to ask for help they go the extra mile for everyone else and yet are confused when no one will even do the bare minimum for them and things like that so basically the cycle looks like they overperform overgive so that their partner will not leave them they eventually get resentful or quote unquote blow up because their needs aren't getting met they're the needs which they themselves have not spoken they blow up their partner somehow will be like, this is shocking. This doesn't seem like you. You're always so accommodating. And here you are blowing up and yelling and crying about something that seems so insignificant. Well, it only seems insignificant. It's essentially the straw that has broken the camel's back. And so the abandonment wounded person then feels completely guilty and horrible that they've blown up and revealed this ugly side of them. So to make up for it and to say, God, I can't believe my partner is still with me, even though I'm a total asshole you know, AKA normal, I'm going to overcompensate and overgive again in order to not lose their affection. And so the cycle then continues. So their cycle is perpetuated by self-guilt and an inability to voice their own opinions, AKA self-abandon. So that's the abandonment cycle in a nutshell. And we call that the shadow chakra of the second chakra because the second chakra in its greatest form is about, you know, self-autonomy and connection with self and creation. And so its antithesis would be self-abandonment, right? You can see that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of just to add and piggyback onto that is that, you know, when you're experiencing a block in the second chakra, 
you know, you're really kind of stimulating that shadow chakra in a lot of ways and kind of the, what can be the darker aspects of it besides just having an abandonment wound anyway. So there's a lot of addiction there's, and I would say in terms of addiction, it's really a kind of all or nothing mentality as well as kind of like a binge and purge, if you know what I mean. So what Anna's describing is she's describing the, the, the kind of codependent cycle of, of binging with helping everybody all the time and constantly overgiving, and then you just hit a point and all of a sudden you're just like, all right, I have to purge this behavior. Right. So yeah. it's like, it's like a very kind of all or nothing, which is why it really pulls into the addictive cycle right. and, and you know, why there's a lot of the time that, that when you're experiencing difficulty in this chakra in particular, you're going to have you know, an overindulgence in sexual fantasy or a complete lack of sexual interest at right. all, right? It's like a very kind of all or nothing when it comes to, yeah, it's to a, stimulate this area. The amplitude on this pendulum swings, you know, wide. Black and white thinking is very common. Like the black and white thinking, you know, it's all this or all that is, a, is it can be an injustice wound too, but it's it can be very much abandonment wound, you know? And one thing I'm starting to notice, I'm doing internal family system work, which we discuss in season three, episode 20. We talk a lot about internal family systems where you go inside your mind, you get yourself into alpha or theta, and you have conversations with your different parts. I've been having conversations with the manager of my many parts of abandonment. And it's very interesting because the first two parts of my abandonment wound, which I'm having conversations with are actually past life versions of me that abandoned others. So the abandonment wound is not just about you being abandoned. It's about you inflicting abandonment upon another and the remorse and guilt that comes with that as well, which is very fascinating. And I hadn't ever considered earlier. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Do you think it's worthwhile, Anna, for me to talk about some of the physical things that people may experience if they have a blocked second chakra? Sure. Yeah. We're all right. about the second chakra in this episode, right? We're all about the second chakra. So things along the lines of chronic lower back pain is something that could be indicative of this. And the thing is, is that if you have an abandonment wound, or if you're feeling as if there's kind of a resonance in here, then this may just be a validation. I wouldn't necessarily say that chronic lower back pain means that you have a blocked second chakra, if that makes right. sense. And but the physical component of abandonment would be rounded shoulders and the forward head, which if you look at the spine is a direct relationship with the lower back, right? Exactly. And, and lower back pain and usually back pain in general is usually associated with being unsupported, right? So, you know, you can pull on so many different modalities right now to kind of like back up these things. So I'm just going to kind of this, so chronic lower back pain is one of them, ovarian cyst and other reproductive issues, urinary tract infections, impotence, pain during intercourse, complications with bladder and kidneys, and other kind of pelvic and lower abdominal issues is what we're seeing in this area that you may see as a physical result of what's going on. And, you know, but at the same time, it's also, like I said, it's important in this case that these things could act as a validation for a feeling that you already have an instinctual feeling that you already have inside. But I wouldn't necessarily say that just because you have these things, it means that it is your second chakra. It's there. We have access and we can access these, these things in all sorts of different ways. So, so trust your instinct with that one. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk, we're going to be going into creativity and art in this season. And I think 
I really wanted to touch on this when I was when I was kind of going when Anna kind of like was like, hey, talk about creativity and art. I was like, what am I going to talk about? And then I was like, oh, I know what it is because it's been the thing that keeps coming up over and over again. This season, we are going to be really kind of diving into, I think, and, and Anna challenged me if I'm wrong about this, but I kind of feel like we're really moving into the like idea of matriarchal spirituality and kind of going kind of more into that feeling and and to kind of explain what matriarchal spirituality is or what i've come to understand it is is that like you know to be to be binary about it like patriarchal spirituality has a tendency to be very savior oriented right so you're you're trying to save yourself you are possibly bypassing the feelings of the body in order to kind of reach a period of of enlightenment or or you know a period of of being light right, where you're not in the body, you know, you may be bypassing the body, and it's usually highly dependent on a single teacher following that single teacher all the way through a lineage, being totally devoted in a very guru-student guru relationship. You know, those are kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about patriarchal spirituality. Anna, do you want to add anything to that before I go on to matriarchal? No, I just think it ties in perfectly with the father wound that we're going to be discussing this season, which is if you want to do some research on father wound, like nine, what is it? 99% of the books you're going to find are all about the relationship between God, the father and man, because the whole dichotomy here is, you know, the superior father and he is above us and we are below us. And there's a big, big sense of hierarchies with this father wound stuff. And so it all ties in well with the matriarchal belief of like, that we've been coming to see, which is, you know, there is no, I'm better than you and you're worse than me. And I don't need to quote unquote, overcome and let go of my ego. I need to embrace it and love it and accept it and be part of my shadow and not push my shadow away. Right. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Right. So coming into the matriarchal, we're not bypassing, we're experiencing. Right. And then from that experience, we're then transmuting that feeling into something else because we're here in a body for a reason. We can't bypass our body. We're not supposed to bypass our body. It's one of our tools. It'd be like trying to build a house without a hammer, y'all. Like it is just, you know, it's just one of those things where our body is here for a reason. It is a tool and it makes things so much easier in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, you have to feel it. You kind of have to get over the, the, the scaredness that you may have, which is, you know, second chakra is all about emotions, right? So it's like, you have to not be afraid of emoting and feeling how you feel. It's not necessarily directed at somebody else, but you know, so we have all these different kind of radical movements, radical acceptance, radical forgiveness, radical self-love. You can think of a number of different things in which people are trying to say, hey, this is so radical, right? And the reason I feel like the kind of interstitial tissue that exists between all of these, the kind of connecting force between all of these is, is that it is about not judging what you are receiving, right? And in some cases, that's a lot easier than others. I'm going to be the first person to to say that. But given that, I feel like the matriarchal spirituality is a lot about radical. It's kind of radical because it says, I'm going to remove judgment and I'm going to experience what I'm going to experience. And I'm going to 
kind of feel and act through the experience of using my body of saying like with radical acceptance you're just saying okay this is the reality that i'm faced with i'm not going to judge it and try and push it away right and the and the irony of that is that when the intellect when the mind gets a hold of that if the mind is like oh okay so you're saying that i'm an abusive relationship and that i have to radically accept that i'm an abusive relationship that doesn't make any sense but the actual experience of radically accepting and understanding where you are means that you are going back into your body. Your body is telling you that it is an unsafe situation and that you need to leave. So it's actually the opposite of what the mind sometimes wants to do with it. When you radically accept something, you say, I'm going into my body. I'm going to figure out exactly how I feel about this situation and I'm going to act accordingly. Right. There's nothing there's nothing bypassy about it. Right. There's nothing. Do you, do you see what I'm saying, Anna? When I yeah, say it's kind of like when you say, let's say, you know, the quintessential example being, OK, you're in an abusive relationship and you want to use radical acceptance. And you could say, well, I'm going to use radical acceptance like to stay here longer because I'm going to radically accept him and radically accept his flaws or whatever or her flaws. I don't want to be sexist here. And, you know, use that as a tool to stay, but that would be very bypassy. True radical acceptance would be, I'm going to actually accept the reality of things as they are and not as I want them to be. So you have to take off your blindfold or your rose colored glasses and be like, this person isn't changing. This person is, you know, abusing me, or I'm not happy in this relationship. And then what, what's next? Because true radical acceptance is accepting reality as it is and not accepting reality as you want it to be, because you can very easily be bypassy about this and be like, well, I'm going to accept that he hits me because, you know, I'm just accepting that this is just an event that's happened, but you, you accept it. You're like, no, I'm going to actually accept reality as it is, which is I am being abused. Yeah. And then you are, you are accepting the reality of that. And then you do with that truth, which you will versus I'm going to accept this person. Radical acceptance is about accepting truth. It's not about accepting a specific person. That's it. That's it. So like in this example that Anna's saying, she's saying, okay, I'm looking at a person and they hit me, but I can see their true high self and their true high self is so beautiful and wonderful and totally encompassing of love. And yet you're not looking at the whole person when you do that, right? Because we want, we, our job is to fully embody ourselves and to expect and look at other people in their fully embodied self, right? And that's and that's kind of part of this. That's a really important part of what I think kind of matriarchal spirituality is all about is this idea that, you know, you're you're meant to use the body as the tool for feeling and you're not meant to bypass that. And then contrary and as I tend to tend to be, the other aspect of matriarchal spirituality is that it is highly creative. It doesn't have a fucking guru, y'all. It has Yeah, mother no- mother is creation, <laughs> right? It is so creative. It doesn't have any fucking rules. You do what you want. Like as long as you're not, as long as you're in your body, you may go to to drink from 10 different wells and that's okay because you're in your body, you're feeling it, you're excited and you're following your excitement. You're using your body as the instrument that it is meant to be, which is the instrument that understands that there may not be just one path that somebody has set forth for you. Everyone is making their own path in matriarchal spirituality. The whole guru teacher student relationship is very, very different. It's all of us coming along together, walking down the path, 
Some of us may feel like we're in a more of a position of leadership, but it's only a, a position of leadership like a bigger tree is a position of leadership in a forest. They may just be a year or two ahead, right? It's still everybody's in the forest and we all thrive. We in every one of us as individual thrives when all of us thrive, right? When all of us are moving out. And so that's that's the other aspect of this is the creativity and art that we feel in the second chakra is just totally fucking embracing this matriarchal spirituality, which says that the creativity and art that I bring to what I'm doing in my spiritual practice is spot on. I'm in my body or I recognize I'm not in my body and I'm doing the practice that I need to to get back into my body and I'm feeling the world for what it is and I am radically accepting it and I am acting as a result of that. There's a quote from Pablo Picasso, Anna, that totally related to truth, which I'm going to say right now before we kind of move on. It's like, he says, we all know that art is not truth. Art is a lie that makes us realize truth, at least the truth that is given us to understand. The artist must know the manner whereby to convince others the truthfulness of his lies. And the reason I say that is because we have so many different practices on this spiritual fix. We have so many different practices in matriarchal spirituality. There's so many different tools and everything that you can use. And the ultimate truth is that, you know, the process is, is, is almost like a lie. It's something that we tell ourselves to be able to get to the truth of where we are. And I think that, that for me, that really feels like a, a huge embodiment of this is that we have to use the tools we have on earth to be able to fully embody ourselves as spiritual beings. That means our body. That means whatever process is going to help us get fully in our body. That means, you know, whatever it is, we use this plane of existence, which some people could call the matrix, some people could call a lie. We use these tools in order to find our truth. Totally. And that totally, totally corresponds with everything about the father wound, which we're going to get to this entire season, which is about if God or creator or whatever has put us on this earth and we experience all gamut of emotions and perversions and kinks and fetishes and desires and pain and guilt and grief and all these things where we really put on this earth to quote unquote, overcome them. Like that sounds like a pretty sadistic God. <laughs> you know, if creation has put us on this planet to simply as a game and the goal of the game is to quote unquote, overcome and master all these things and get over it so we can get on to the next realm. I mean, that just seems like a very sadistic, silly thing. Like to me, it makes more sense that we have come into the human body to experience all gamut and all feeling and come to a place where we accept it and love it and let it move right through us. And even when we don't, even when we resist it, even when we hate our grief, even when we hate our kinks, even when we hate our flaws, even in that hatred of them, we are experiencing self-hate, which is also an experience of humanity. And so without even understanding it or being cognizant of it, we are fulfilling the exact role which we took birth to have, which was to experience human emotions. Mm -hmm. So I just, I just don't believe, I mean, I kind of used to believe this, that we were, you know, I used to be in the patriarchal idea of like 
God is holy and God is above us and the guru is above us and the guru has mastered this and God has mastered that. And, you know, I'm just this stupid human. And I'm like, no, like I'm amazing. Like I experience pain and rage and guilt and grief and resentment and remorse and self-hate. And I experience other things too, but like whoever said that one's sacred and one's not, you know, I'm done labeling one good and one bad. Like I'm done thinking of myself as the shadow and the light. Like I am all of it and I'm loving it. And I feel like that is the true essence of this season is coming to understand that. Yes. A fucking ho, a ho. Amen. I was going to say amen and a ho. (laughs) A ho. So yes, yes, yes. And um, so we're excited about this season because we really want to break down these, these like, ancient ancient lifelong past life like so many lives of this ancient belief of like the father and the son and you know all the stuff that gets we have the cosmic father which is like the belief that we are somehow you know below we've got god is better than man you know that kind of cosmic father stuff and then we have the personal father stuff which can bring up stuff about safety about abandonment about honor about trust about role modeling like the father is very much about role modeling where the mother is very much about caregiving like of course this is a very binary approach we're talking about energy here and not specific people like clearly my father was a very caregiving man and you know you might have a mother who's a very role modely mother you know like I'm not saying that this is specific to to people of certain genders I'm just saying the energy of the father is that you know so this this season we're going to be looking at your personal father wound and your cosmic father wound awesome awesome so one of the things that Anna mentioned at the beginning is that, you know, we kind of have a corresponding yoga for each of the the chakras that we're looking at. And in this particular case, it's very appropriate that it's Kundalini and Hatha yoga because those those practices use the body to cultivate spiritual energy. So Kundalini is looking directly to create, to stimulate Kundalini in the body, which generates Shakti. And these are a lot of different words that basically say holy spiritual energy and life force that is unique to the body. So Kundalini in particular being a a form of spiritual awakening energy, Shakti being a form of spiritual creative energy, right? And so it's all about using Kundalini uses practices of of breath, of, of repetitive movements, of sound, of chanting in order to stimulate the body again. So we're talking about this body, like being fully embodied, using the body to create and stimulate these energies that naturally exist. And they're just, sometimes they're dormant. Sometimes they're, they're, you know, they're kind of in just different states within each of us as we become more and more realized and more and more embodied. And then the same with Hatha. Hatha is a, is the practice of what most people know of as yoga in the West, in which you are moving in a certain way in order to attain a level of spiritual perfection, which is a very patriarchal understanding, but you know, of, of using the body in order to clear channels within to be able to have a full and empty channel for the divine to fill you up for grace to fill you up. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I got this image when you were saying that it's so funny. I got this image of someone building a sandcastle and that being like very, the very patriarchal way. Like we want to build, we want to create structure. We want to create perfection. And then we all have it. Come on. We all have that desire to like run up to this big sandcastle and fucking kick it over. Do we not? Yes. And that is the, the matriarchal part of us, you know? 
Yep. Be the fucking wild woman, y'all. Be the wild man. Be the wild person. <laughs> be the wild, you know, whatever it is that you identify with, be the fucking wild version of it and just radically accept reality for how it is radically embody your body embody your body embody your divinity on this plane because that's mm -hmm. what we're here for right 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 well at least that's my opinion so in summary we are really excited to share season four with you going into topics like art creativity abandonment existential kink the father wound and what we ultimately want you to get out of this season is just basically to recognize your humanity, to learn to love your humanity, to learn to love all the different parts of yourself, to recognize your true power, and to not have this dichotomy of like holy and unholy and sacred and not sacred and recognize that like everything you do is sacred. Your shit is sacred. Your grief is sacred. Like it's all freaking, it's either all sacred or none of it's sacred. And we want to really also talk about how the things which you think you are hating, you actually are secretly loving. And it is when we try to escape from the things that we love that we actually cause ourselves more pain. And Carl Jung said, until we make the unconscious conscious, we will let it direct our lives and we will call it fate. Like until you're ready to bring all your stuff up to the surface and know that it's safe to come to the surface because you're going to love it. You're not going to reject it and hate it. And, you know, you're going to let it come up until you let all this stuff in the back that's directing the show come to the surface. It's going to keep directing your life, but you're going to call it fate or bad luck or pain. And it's going to create pain. And so this season is going to be all about recognizing the unconscious biases you have that are keeping you locked in pain. And if I could sum up the entire season in one sentence, it would be this quote from Gabor Mate. The attempt to escape from pain is what creates more pain. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. We look forward to getting started into season four. Just a little word that those who are our Patreon followers got this episode an entire day early. So maybe you want to consider it too. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for more information. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover. Hey, TSF family. So in case you weren't aware, all of you are healers. We are all healers in the way that we do the work on ourselves so that we can show up better in the world. And by doing that, we model and every single one of you is doing that. We are all healers. We are all spreading our light. We are all addressing our shadows. 
And I just want to first say, way to go. I also want to say, if you feel stuck, I'm here. I do intuitive readings. I do intuitive clearings. I help the healers heal. Healing is the practice of integration in which we recognize and accept all parts of us so that we can love all parts of us. The more we love all parts of us, the more that we can love and accept and heal others. So in perpetuity, all TSF family will receive a 15% discount on their first sessions or healing sessions with me. I'm so grateful for y'all and I hope to see you soon. Use the code TSFFAMILY, all one word, for your discount.